Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. At this point, maybe I shouldn't try to advertise what is coming up at the end of podcasts because I find myself changing up far more than I ever expected. That's my way of saying I'm about to call another audible on this episode, not addressing the Christmas Day games or the Atlanta Hawks internal soap opera. If you want any information or insight on those, you can find it on foxsports.com, either in the group take that we had on the Christmas Day games or in the case of the Atlanta Hawks, my NBA Confidential column this week. I'm also going to push on talking about Zion Williamson showing signs of growth. And originally I shelved that because Zion's relationship to the Pelicans winning took a bit of a hit as soon as I thought about talking about it because they had lost four in a row playing through Zion and now had won three in a row without him. They're back on the beam. He obviously had a huge game. I will tackle that at some point. It is an interesting development when it comes to the Pelicans. But probably not going to be in the next podcast either because there's something else brewing that I want to get to. But for this, this episode, this is going to be about why an Eastern Conference GM said to me last week that the Brooklyn Nets are like North Korea. They scare the hell out of everyone because no one knows what they're going to do and why I understand exactly what he means, particularly after watching the Nets push their winning streak to nine games with a 125-117 win over one of the East's other impressive teams, the Cleveland Cavaliers, on their home floor. The Nets are scary good in so many ways. When they're rolling offensively, it's like playing whack-a-mole. 
you pay too much attention in one place, there's someone else who can score and make you pay. And even if you pay particular attention to Kevin Durant, the way he's going right now, he's still capable of putting up 30. If you define MVP as the best player on the best team, and regardless of the fact that he said he's not interested in winning the award again, you have to have KD in the mix. What's truly wild is that he may single-handedly be bringing back the mid-range game. KD is shooting the majority of his shots from 10 to 16 feet. Let me say that again. The majority of his shots from 10 to 16 feet. That is so anti-analytics. And yet he's knocking down those shots at an insane 60.7% rate. Now, for comparison, Dirk Nowitzki never shot better than 50% from that range. And we don't have mid-range percentages for Michael Jordan in his prime, so I'm not going to say that this is the best mid-range shooting exhibition of all time. But let's just say no one right now is shooting a better mid-range game than KD is. He's essentially mirrored last year's production overall, averaging 30 but this year, he's taking one less shot a game to do it. Now, the Nets, all that said, are far from a one-man band. Kyrie Irving's three-point shot selection could be a bit better. But other than that, he has been a solid, consistent, offensive contributor. But they're not a two-man band either. Nine players, nine Nets, are averaging at least eight points a game. What may make them most dangerous is the number of deadly three-point shooters they have. Irving, Kyrie, is actually the worst among those getting any sort of regular playing time. He's perfectly mediocre when it comes to shooting the three, around 34%. Yuta Watanabe is the greatest revelation, at least for me. 6'9 forward. Shooting better than 50% from deep. I didn't pay him enough attention when he was in Toronto, apparently. Markeith Morris is not far behind him, shooting 49%. Wadnabi, 50%. Markeith Morris, 49%. Royce O'Neal and Patty Mills are both shooting over 40% as well. And I haven't even mentioned TJ Warren, in part because he's only been in the mix for uh, less than a dozen games. But he could be a game-changer as a 6'8 scorer. Now, they don't have size on the front line. But Warren, along with Yuda and Royce O'Neal, now gives them size on the wings where they can switch everything defensively. And they're not particularly great individual defenders. But that kind of size and length, along with depth and the ability to switch all with the crew believing that they might be able to do something special, that's a pretty powerful combination. And I haven't even mentioned Ben Simmons. In part, because Ben Simmons hasn't been particularly noteworthy. Not on the level of his stardom in Philadelphia. But I consider that a good thing. If there's a team where he can just defend, swing the ball, rebound, and that's enough for the team to win, then this is that team, and that's the ideal role for him. Now, he doesn't take a whole lot of free throws. 
averaging less than two a game, and he doesn't make them shooting less than 50% from the line. And that could be a problem keeping him on the floor at the end of playoff games with a lead, when presumably you'd want him on there. But again, that's where the size of Warren, O'Neal, and Watanabe comes in. If we were talking strictly a rotation of Mills, Kyrie, and Seth Curry, Simmons or Nick Claxton would have to be on the floor. And then that creates a problem in terms of your spacing offensively. Now, I've never considered the Cavaliers a true title contender, but they're damn good. They have size, versatility, and when it comes to shot making in the clutch, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell so far have shown a willingness to let whoever has the most advantageous matchup try to exploit it. And that's what I consider the most important wrinkle for them to straighten out is how are they going to share those duties? Are they going to do it as well or better than, say, Russ and KD did in Oklahoma City? That's the challenge. Because I guess Darius is a little bit more of a playmaker than Donovan, but he's still best with the ball in his hands looking for his shot. J.B. Bickerstaff, the head coach, is as even-keeled as any coach in the league, yet still authoritative in how he wants his team to play as any young coach in the league. But let's be honest. Who on their team has made a deep playoff run? Who gathers them before an elimination game in the playoffs and says, this is the way we approach it. This is the way we have to play. Sometimes teams figure that out on the fly. Sometimes players do. But it's generally against other equally inexperienced teams. The chances of them doing that are not good with both the Bucks and Celtics in the, in the conference, teams with far greater experience in that department. Even the Miami Heat have that advantage from their run to the finals in the bubble. And the Cavs are sure to run into one of those teams along the way. But enough about Cleveland. This is why the comment by the Eastern Conference GM about the Nets is so appropriate in spite of KD and Kyrie having championship experience. Because they don't display what they should have learned from that experience, at least not all the time. Much like North Korea's leadership, the biggest threat to undermine the Nets is the decision-making of their leaders under pressure. The Cavs game was a perfect example. The Nets had the game firmly in hand with about seven and a half minutes left, leading 109-93. They were rolling, and Cavs just couldn't get it going, and they certainly couldn't stop the Nets. But that's when Kyrie came down and took a contested three-pointer with 11 seconds on the shot clock. Nothing really created, just kind of threw it up there. It was one of those, we've got this, I can just let this fly type of shots. Except that with seven and a half minutes left, There's way too much time to think or act that way. And if I can sense it watching on a TV screen, I can assure you the Cavs picked up on it, which is how that 16-point lead shriveled to four with 44 seconds left. It's like when one of those moments happens, it's like the rabbits hearing a coyote call. All the ears go up. Oh, something's going on. Jacques Vaughn, the Nets coach, recognized it as well because after Darius Garland went to the other end 
and drew a, shout, a shooting foul on O'Neal. Jacques subbed out Warren and Watanabe and put in Durant and Claxton. Time to get a hold of this game again and lock this victory away. And if you think that one possession, one sloppy possession, one careless shot uh, doesn't mean that much in the big scope of things when you've got 85, 90 possessions in a game, you don't understand how the NBA works. You don't understand the fragility of every game and how teams are able to seize when the other team lets their guard down just for a second, how that can flip the momentum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So KD comes in. Only KD didn't exactly come in and calm things down. Quite the opposite. On the first possession after he subbed in, he threw a lob pass for Claxton that had no chance of reaching him and was snatched out of the air by the Cavs. I want to say it was Donovan Mitchell. On the next possession, KD fell down driving the lane and threw a desperation grounder to Claxton, who amazingly managed to collect it uh, on the right side of the basket and couldn't see the shot clock based on the angle. So he threw up a jump hook, never had a chance. Garland, meanwhile, was burying threes in between all this, cutting the Nets' lead to nine with more than six minutes to play. Getting it into single digits is always an important moment. I know the broadcasters make a big deal out of it, but psychologically, it's a big deal to the players as well. And so this is what happens. One careless possession can create an avalanche. You go from up 16 with seven and a half left to now you're up nine single digits and there's still six minutes to play it's why Kyrie is at his best when he's just a hired gun that you go to when you need a bucket and he's at his worst when he's been charged with being a playmaker and an organizer I know he desperately wants to be seen as a leader and a thought provoker, changer, whatever. I think he wants it so badly because it's just not in his toolkit. His, his value is on a much simpler plane, certainly when it comes to basketball. His decisions for the collective good on the court are as sketchy as his decisions for the collective off of it. But I'm not telling you, for the, the general lot of you, I'm not telling you anything you shouldn't already know after watching him in Cleveland before LeBron returned or in Boston or at various times during his current tenure in Brooklyn. He is a terrific shot maker. He is a magician handling the ball. But how and when he goes into his bag all too often makes little sense in the context of the game. 
He's just out there trying to make something incredible happen when the moment calls for reading the defense and making the right play, trusting a teammate, moving the ball. It's why he and LeBron were such a good fit because LeBron could control all that. And it's one of the elements that is tricky for the Nets because who's going to be the governor of Kyrie Irving? Who's that premier ball handler? Ben Simmons? Maybe. I don't know that he has the personality and the presence to be able to take control of the team like that. Now, KD and Kyrie's incredible shot-making ability kept the Cavs at bay for the next couple minutes. But with three minutes and 12 seconds left, the lead was cut to seven after a pair of free throws by Jared Allen. That's when KD drove in to Chetty Osmond for an offensive foul and a turnover. Kyrie pushed uh, or buried a three to push the lead back to 10, but then KD sticking his knee out rather than moving his feet fouled Garland on a drive for his sixth and final foul with 154 left to play. So now KD's out of the picture. Garland makes the two free throws and the Nets lead is back to eight. Both teams missed shots before Osmond scored on a layup off a steal by Mitchell. Sort of a crazy sequence after a jump ball. The lead was now six with 65 seconds left. On the very next possession, Kyrie traveled while trying to go one on three. Garland then answered with a floater. We're now talking about a four-point game with 44 seconds left. Kyrie took the inbound. He went on some wild foray up the left baseline, dribbling up it with his hair on fire. And the Cavs actually had him contained, pinned against the sideline. But Osmond, for some unknown reason, decided to ride him out of bounds. And a foul was called. Kyrie knocked down the free throws. And the Cavs' comeback was, was averted. It was simply up six at that point just too much now you have to get into the foul game and so it didn't work but if you if you look at the sequence of everything that happened at the end of that game it was the architects were KD and Kyrie that's who you look to to close games and yes they made shots but there's a complete game at work here They can't just make shots. They have to be smart with the ball. They have to utilize uh, the clock on every possession. That did not happen. And there wasn't anything about what the Cavs were doing that forced them into the mistakes that they made. A lot of those were self-inflicted. So for all the Nets did well, for the majority of the game, it was by their own hand that the Cavs were allowed to make it interesting down the stretch. And it was the decision-making by KD and Kyrie that opened that door. That's what makes them as scary to themselves as to anyone they might be playing. The ball is going to be in their hands with the game on the line. And maybe you trust their judgment completely, but I don't. And the only other option is Ben Simmons. I don't know if you trust his judgment completely. But I certainly don't. Now, afterward, Kyrie reflected about his time in Cleveland. 
And I'm not sure I've heard a more self-absorbed perspective. He talked about LeBron's return as the prodigal son, which made it clear that he has no idea what the biblical meaning of that, of the prodigal son actually is. He talked about himself being a lone ranger, made it sound like he was just trying to lift the franchise all by himself. Sounded kind of victim-y, to be honest. He used the reference to make it sound, the prodigal son reference, that is, as if LeBron preempted his chance to prove he could do what LeBron did the first time around in Cleveland, which was lead the Cavs to the finals. In a sense, LeBron's return did supplant Kyrie as the team's leader, but it also resulted in a championship, the only one that Kyrie has been a part of. He clearly still doesn't know how or why that Cavs team ended up winning the title or his part in it. That, for all of the elements that make the Nets look dangerous, makes me doubt that they have the leadership necessary when things get tough to pull through against the best of the best. And again, that's what it's going to require. Seeing them the last few weeks, I have to concede that my prediction before the season, that they would be lucky to finish with a winning record, will prove to be wrong. I did not count on Jacques Vaughn inspiring the team to play the kind of defense they are now playing, which should put them somewhere near the top of the Eastern Conference standings. Their personnel is far more suited to making a run than last year's was. As I see it, they might arguably be the best small ball team in the league. But predicting before New Year's Eve what will happen over the long haul requires as much big-picture perspective and weighing of past results being indicative of future performance. Can, can KD stay healthy? That's vital. There may be some in the media afraid to give him an MVP vote, but I'm not one of them. If he leads the Nets to the best record in the Eastern Conference, I'd have to give him my vote because he would have had to outdo three other candidates in Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and Jason Tatum. Speaking of Boston, you want to know how quickly a season can turn? Just look to the Boston Celtics last year, what they were the first half and what they were the second half. That can turn on its head. Look at the Golden State Warriors. First half, rolling. Second half, 500 team. Now, KD has missed significant time in all of the last three seasons, missing the entire 2019-20 season with an Achilles tear. And what about Kyrie? He's missed significant time each of the last three seasons as well. And how many years has it been since Kyrie got through an entire season without creating a major distraction? If we're talking about making a postseason run, even Jacques Vaughn, one of the feel-good stories of the year, has to be scrutinized. Other than overseeing the Nets' quick first-round exit in the bubble, Jacques has no postseason coaching experience. And yes, I'm aware first-year head coach Ime Odoka didn't either before leading the Celtics to the finals last year. But that blueprint is the exception, far from the rule. And what about when some bumps in the road appear or someone gets frustrated with their role? Who calms the waters? Because there are always bumps in the road. They've already experienced some with switching out Nash for Vaughn. But the players had no choice 
but to come together after that, seeing as they got what they wanted. Who turns the tide if they get behind in a series, or they lose five in a row? Who pulls everybody back onto the emotional beam? I'd love to say KD, but he's never taken on that role, and at various times has made it clear he isn't interested in it. Kyrie? Don't make me laugh. Ben? Don't make me laugh harder. Look at the rest of the roster. No one else need apply. Go back through the years, and I assure you will see not only did every team that reached the finals have an emotional communicative leader, but that they needed that leader to step forward and put that ability to use at some point during the season. I also still question when the games get close and the pressure of advancing in the playoffs is on the line, that they have the collective discipline to grind and be smart, that they have the necessary steady hands not to make the mistakes that resulted in talented teams not realizing their full potential. So maybe I will prove to be dead wrong about the Nets this season. For the last month, they've certainly made it look that way. But we got four months to go. And that's just the regular season. Let's see what happens next. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And as I said in the next episode, we've got a lot on the menu that still needs to be ordered. I mentioned them at the top of the show. And add to it LeBron James talking about He wants to continue to win, clearly unhappy with the Lakers. What does that mean? What are the chances that he could go someplace else, that somebody else would want him? All of that, potentially, in the next podcast. I'm not going to make any promises. At this point, you just know I'm going to come with something good. That, I promise. So, hope all of you have a tremendous new year. Still hoping that I can get one more podcast out before New Year's Day, but we shall see. Somewhat of a tall task at this point. Going to give it a go. Not going to promise that. But in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.